Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Assignment, as I've understood it, um, you know we're gonna we're gonna cover three different topics, but we'll be looking at count. Oh, well, okay. Praise the Lord. Yeah, it's almost like a little altar for my coffee. <laughs> so, that's great, man. So, you know, we're going to talk about the sufficiency of Scripture for counseling this morning. Then we'll do a little bit of overview tomorrow in terms of what biblical counseling is, what our approach needs to be. And then we'll talk about how we want to um, maybe implement counseling in a local church setting. And, you know, I, I here I'll, it'll just be the maybe the blind leading the blind. I don't know. We we've been working toward implementing a, 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 for lack of a better word, an official or a structured counseling ministry at, at MBT for a while and, and have had a plan for that for some time. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because you know, the caffeine, that's good. So I was supposed to teach this last year and was sick. And, you know, sounds like a lot of that went around here last year and, and um, so 2020, being what it was, uh, we were scrambling just like everybody else. And so we're kind of where we were this time last year <laughs> on our implementation. But uh, we, can, we can talk theory you know, in terms of how to implement a local church ministry, a, a counseling ministry on Wednesday morning. Um, but this morning, let's pray and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get into our content. Father... I thank you that you are a wonderful counselor. And what you've given us in your word, it, it is brilliant. Lord, you designed us, you built us, you engineered us. Um, Lord, the, it's obvious we're the work of your hands. And, and so you know us very well. You understand us. You know what we need. Lord, thank you for giving us a manual. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for the certainty of the words of truth that we can know what your will is over our life. And if we, as your creation, we'll just come to the place where we'll operate in submission to your word, where we'll operate according to design specifications, uh, our lives will run well. Lord, we'll be blessed. You'll be glorified. God, everything will work out to your glory and, and our good. And, and so, Lord, I pray that, that uh, today would be encouragement for people to just stick with the Bible. I pray that tomorrow would be just some enlightening, some envisionment, envisioning in terms of an implementation. How, how do we implement uh, an approach to counseling? And then, Lord, uh, enlarge our vision to, to, to enable counselors, uh, trained, qualified counselors to do the work of helping people with problems. Lord, uh, again, 
just ask that you would take the weakness of my flesh and my stumbling lips. Again, Lord, you know that I'm just qualified, qualified enough to confuse everyone, and, uh, but your word is awesome, and, and uh, who you are and what you've done is, is just it's amazing. And, uh, and so, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, just through the certainty of your word, have your way with our lives, our churches, our ministries this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so again, this morning we're looking at a faith-based approach to counseling. Uh, one of the things that sets our fellowship of churches apart is we have a faith-based view of Scripture. We see in the Word of God what God said about how He would give and preserve His Word, and, and we find all of those promises fulfilled for us in our King James Bible. We find in the authorized version the certainty of the words of truth. We don't question or, well, I pray, we don't question or critique it. Uh, we let it critique us and, and what it says kind of just settles arguments and, and uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to not to have to be the smartest guy in the room. So, you know, if you're going to have any credibility in the world today, you have to have a lot of credentials and and the more letters you have behind your name, then obviously the smarter you are, and, and so you then become the final authority in a group of peers who may have different perspectives. And, and the good thing about being a Bible believer is, is it doesn't matter what I think or what you think, what does the book say? And, and that's very liberating, and, and, and it's, a, it's a very powerful thing for ministry. I mean, we, we, we operate in churches where there's only one songbook. Everybody's singing in the same key. It just solves so many problems tactically and practically. And, and so it's a, it's a wonderful thing to have a faith-based approach to the Word of God. But then you want to have a faith-based approach to the work of God. What God has designed, what God has given, does it work or not? Well, I believe with all my heart it works in an amazing way. <laughs> You want to have a faith-based approach to the work of God. And, and, and really what we're going to talk about this morning is, is the Bible enough for ministry? And so if you've got your notes uh, and you're keeping track, here's our first point for study. And hopefully this will be on the PowerPoint. And I think everything's lined up and we should be good to go. The PowerPoint won't be on the back screen, I take it, right? It'll, it'll just be up here. So I'm just, you guys will let me know if we're not in sync on, on some level. Here's the question on the floor this morning. Is the use of the Bible enough to help people with their spiritual problems in a local church ministry setting? Is the use of the Bible enough to help people with their problems? Unfortunately, today, many people would answer that question with a big no. And their position is, is the Bible's great and all, but, but we've learned so much through scientific inquiry, right? We need to apply the scientific discoveries that we now have at our disposal. Now, I know I'm, I'm, I'm trusting, right? I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but I also know that the bulk of what pastors are hearing in church world today, it serves to subtly undermine their faith in the sufficiency and the authority of Scripture for the work of the ministry. Can I just tell you, can I just encourage somebody this morning, pastor, if you have a Bible, you have everything that you need in terms of authority, in terms of source material, in terms of solutions to problems. You have what you need in the Word of God. Uh, that is not the spirit 
that the church at large is listening to today. And so let me give you a warning against a flawed, a minis- a flawed ministry approach. Uh, warning is your next blank. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Paul warned Timothy that there would be days like this. 1 Timothy 6.20, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Man, I'm telling you, there is a lot of error in the church today. Pastors are not keeping that which is committed to their trust, and they're supplanting the certainty of God's word with the latest scientific discoveries. And professing, they err concerning the faith. You got a lot of people, right, who call themselves Bible believers, but I'm telling you, Bible believers and Bible practitioners are dropping like flies today. Why is that? Well, it's a faith crisis. Is God enough for his people? Is his word, what he said, enough for his people? It's a faith crisis. Does what God said, is it enough to change lives? I believe one of the greatest principles for ministry in terms of a faith-based approach to ministry, uh, you see it in just a wonderful story, Matthew chapter 9, in verses 27 and 30, Jesus, here's two blind men following him and crying and saying, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into his house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, believe ye that I am able to do this. There it is. And they said unto him, yea, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were open. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes or no? Do we believe the Lord? Do we believe the word of the Lord? Yes or no? Well, According to your faith, be it unto you. And this is a critical principle for ministry. You know, pastors who believe that they're going to stink it up on Sunday morning, guess what? If you didn't study, you're going to stink it up. If you did study and you think you're going to, you're going to stink it, according to your faith, be it unto you. If you believe with all of your heart that it pleases God to use weak, the weak and foolish things of this world so that he gets all of the glory, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get that book open, and the book is going to be awesome, and it's going to, the book, it's not that, it's not your ability, it's not your giftedness. Personally, it's the Word of God. God is right. God is true. What he's saying is awesome, and that is just exciting and life-changing. It's amazing to me. You get the book open, and it changes people. The book. Okay, praise the Lord. Do we believe that, that at the word of the Lord, lives will be changed? And that's the difference between lectures and life-changing preaching and teaching. It's the same thing in prayer ministry. What what do we think about prayer? What's our approach to prayer? Does prayer prayer work? Does prayer change things? James 1, verse 6, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. You don't come to God questioning that he'll follow through on his promises. You just don't do that. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You see, my preaching, my teaching, that's not the primary thing. It's the preaching of the word of God that matters. And when the book is open, watch out, man, it's coming for you. <laughs> now, we either believe that or we don't. I mean, I just, that's the thing that gets me so excited about just pastoral pulpit work. 
if, if I can get somebody's attention and get the book open and get them focused on what it says, game over. Because it's at work. It's powerful. I tell our church all the time, you know, when you're reading the Bible, man, that Bible is reading you. When you're in that book, that book is getting in you, and it's taking you apart from the inside out. It's reading you. It's discerning you. It's taking you apart and putting you back together in the likeness of Christ. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is quick. It's alive. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The Bible, God's word sees me for who I am. And it changes me. Precept by precept. Scripture after scripture. Line after line. It's changing me into all that God wills. Okay, so do we have... That's the question. Do we have a faith-based approach to helping people with their problems? Let me tell you the trend today. It's trending toward apostasy. Uh, the trend today is the Bible's good and all, but it's not enough. And so you got a lot of people who, under the name of Christian counseling, most of them will not call themselves biblical counselors. It'll be under the name Christian Counseling. Uh, they take an integrated approach, okay? They're integrationists. What's an integrationist? Well, an integrationist seeks to combine the insights of science, right? The, 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 the insights of newly discovered scientific uh, discoveries, and those are varied. Sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll drift off into the area of, you know, physical health, um, but typically, it's in the area of psychological discovery. And with those psychiatric sciences, combined with what we see in the Bible, uh, that's what we're going to use, that's what we're going to work with to help people with their problems. And typically, in those settings, in integrated Christian counseling settings, what ends up happening is the Bible just ends up as seasoning to make the psychology palatable for the person coming to ask for help. That's what they do. They just season it with a few Bible verses, and, uh, but really it's, it's, it's typically a psychological or a psychiatric approach. And so here's their logic. This is what's happening to pastors. You know some of these pastors. Um, they're, 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 they're increasing in number because the logic, this is how they win them, and it basically goes like this. Absolutely. The Bible is absolute truth. I believe that with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. The Word of God is absolute truth, and everybody's agreed. But does the Word of God contain all truth? Yes or no? And then it gets really uncomfortable. Does the Word of God contain? The Word of God doesn't contain all truth. Anybody would be silly to think so. I mean, can, the, can, can you find the square root of 16 in your Bible? No, nowhere. Uh, but, 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 but that truth is still truth, even though it's not found in Scripture. Uh, can you find the, the physics and the chemistry and the engineering, the, the mechanical engineering for internal combustion engine in your King James authorized version? Can you find that in your Bible? No. But is it truth? 
Absolutely, and it changes our life. I didn't have to walk here, praise the Lord. Uh, that, that science has, has improved our quality of life. And, and because that truth is not in the Bible, does it make it untrue? No, no, no. God can help you with any and all truth. You know, very few of the important maths are in the word of God. What about penicillin? You're not going to find penicillin in the Bible, but man, if you're sick, you better take it. Hydroelectric power, where, 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 where's that in your King James Bible, man? I mean, man, and don't we need hydroelectric power? This is good. This, is, this saves lives. It improves quality of life. And, and so everybody's with me so far. Not all truth that's true, and it's good truth, is going to be found in our Bible, and that good truth really helps people. And so, so if it's true, and here's the linchpin, here's where, here's where, the, here's where the, the, the hinge turns, right? Here's where the hinge breaks. If it's true, then all truth is God's truth. And if all truth, if it's true, is God's truth, then any truth can have value for the lives of God's people. Are you tracking with me? And if it can have value for God's people, why aren't we using it? And you end up being an integrationist, right? If we'd take penicillin to help the sick, then we should mine the sciences to make sure we're really doing our best. If we're going to be good pastors, we need to make sure we're doing everything that we can to help God's people when we're dealing with their life issues. And some people are messed up because they have physical problems. Some people are messed up because they have spiritual problems, mental problems, emotional problems. And science can help with that. And so the integrationist tactical conclusion is this. The word of God is not enough to help people with their psychological deficiencies and needs. Do you see how we got there? And this is where pastor, this is the path that pastors take all the time. I have spoken with many of them, okay? Uh, this is the path that the integrationist takes. And the result is now you have, in effect, pastors doing pulpit ministry, doing counseling ministry, but they're faithless pastors, faithless counselors, committing ministry malpractice, and in the name of doing the best for God's people, using the best of God's truth that's out there. Not, yes, in the Bible, but everywhere where we need to find it, mine it, find it, apply it to the lives of people, and they end up destroying the lives of people in the process. See, now you've got faithless pastors and faithless churches mining sciences that they were never scientifically qualified to properly discern. They don't even know how to nav navigate the, inf the information, but they heard something on the radio, they bought the book, and now they're using it in ministry. And they start because they start with the premise that the word of God alone is not enough to help people with their issues. They go from conference to conference, website to website, mining. They're, they're mining the sciences. They're looking for the next big thing that's going to give them an edge to help God's people. And they typically, they just all fall in the same holes, man. Typically, it's some psychiatric, some psychological science that they're going to apply, some insight that they're going to apply in their counseling ministry. But too often, they end up in pseudosciences, uh, you know, psych psychiatric, psychological sciences, there are some actual legitimate insights there, but there are zero solutions there. And those fields of scientific inquiry, they're filled with hacks. <laughs> they're filled with dishonest liars. I mean, why would, you, why would you trust any of it? We'll talk about it. Often they end up in pseudosciences. I mean, it's just quackery. You can't, you can't get 
that you can't actually get a double-blind actual clinical study to say anything that these pastors are saying is true. Uh, it's, just, it's just quackery. You've got, you got pastors holding Bibles who are functionally quacks trying to help God's people. I'll give you a big one. This is kind of, well, this is, it, it isn't just big in Colorado and Kansas City anymore. It's, it's spreading all over the world, you know, Splunkna. Sarah Thesson wrote a book, Splunkna, and in and, and chapter 7 through whatever it is, chapter 7 through 10, I think, she makes the case, and she she carefully admits that they are redeeming divination and witchcraft for the kingdom of God. They're going to use it to help God's people. And the practitioners can't roll with that, so it's, you know, so, no, I'm not turning people into a human Ouija board. Uh, it's quantum mechanics, <laughs> said the pastor. It's quantum mechanics. Okay, who in this room understands anything about quantum mechanics? I know you read a few articles on the internet who understands anything about quantum mechanics? I don't. I mean, I got an engineering degree. I, that, that stuff makes my head hurt. I, can't, I couldn't do anything with that. Quantum physicists don't understand quantum mechanics, but pastors, pastor so-and-so knows that he's not turning somebody into a human Ouija board using divination to find out what's wrong with it. No, it's he knows it's quantum science. Quantum mechanics. Really? I mean, come on. Oh, it's the power of the subconscious mind. How do you know that? It's quackery. It's pseudoscience. And they sell it to God's people. Reiki, healing energy, EDMR, tapping, Enneagrams. I mean, all of this. Eastern, uh, it's really Eastern transcendental meditation. They're, 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 they're using this and they're calling it Christian counseling. You ought to, if you've got questions about these areas of new agey pseudoscience, and you want to get up to speed on all the quackery, uh, there's a former New Ager that catalogs these things on Facebook. She's got a website. It's called Christian Answers for the New Age. Uh, that's one to bookmark. And she'll give you, you know, she's a researcher. She's got some weird views too. Well, they say it takes one to know one or maybe, I don't know. But man, God got a hold of her life and, and she's trying to expose it. And so the Lord bless her work. She's a cataloger. She's a researcher. And and she'll at least get you started on, on, on understanding what maybe some of the backgrounds are from some of these new age pseudosciences. Okay, let's talk about the problems with this flawed logic for, you know, let's talk about what's wrong with pastors saying, I need science to help God's people with their spiritual and emotional needs. And, and so let's start with the founders, okay? They're all broken. The broken founders, let's talk about the broken foundations of psychological sciences. And they're all anti-God, they're all anti-Word of God. Sigmund Freud, everybody knows that name, he's the godfather. So <laughs> Freud, uh, he put out his shingle on an Easter Sunday. A lot of people would view that as, you know, a not-so-subtle shot across the, the Christian bow, the church bow. Uh, but he's someone for whom every action has significance. Um, Freud thought very little of religion in general, less of Christianity in, Christ in particular. That's a historically verifiable fact. He called himself a completely godless Jew. He called himself a, a hopeless pagan. When he was a child, um, somebody that, um, he, he, he thought it was a Christian. It was some proposed Christian 
um, or a group of Christians, they pushed his father around and they, they muddied up his clothes. And his dad didn't retaliate. And Freud was ashamed of that interaction and thought his father should have fought back. And, and he vowed then that someday he would get even with the Christians. And in the eyes of many, psychoanalysis was his weapon, the weapon that he used. Um, in his books, he clearly gives religion a hard time. For him, Christianity was an illusion that had to be dispelled. Like other religions, it was a sign of neurosis. He taught that religion was born out of fear of the great untamed universe surrounding primitive man. You know, at first, there was no such thing as moral scruples, but since man wants to follow his own wishes, really his instincts, he clashes with others trying to do the same. And so in order to survive, just in the natural process of evolution of man, man found it necessary to live and work together. And so morality then was the outcome of this growth of human society, which could only exist by developing and keeping codes of conduct. So conscious, he said, the superego was built upon or built up because of these violations to the code. Those violations to the code would be severely punished by the rest of society, and so that's what developed conscious in man. And so what he said was, religion really then belongs to the infancy of the race. Man needs to grow up, needs to grow out of infancy, and that means growing out of religion. So he calls the biblical accounts fairy tales. He says that religion was invented uh, to fulfill man's need, to ease his conscience. And so when one comes of age, when you come into true human potential, fullness of human potential, well, then you don't need religion anymore. Okay, so before adopting Freudian principles, then Christians need to know the presuppositions behind everything that he wrote, everything that he believed. B.F. Skinner, another godfather for the, for the field. Uh, he believed that man is just a soulless animal. He's just an animal. And so behavioral modification is the key to making man better. Reward, punishment enables man to fit in. Uh, he believed that life is vanity. Get as much as you can get away with because you're going to die. Carl Jung, another famous godfather. I'll tell you what, let's do Maslow first. Maslow, he, you, you, you got a big dose of Maslow. I'm sure you got a big dose of Maslow in like third or fourth grade. We did in Missouri. Uh, there was a whole section on it, and, and you learned the hierarchy of needs and, and what motivates men. And um, He didn't believe that there were any absolutes. He was anti-Christian. He rejected the Bible, and he blamed Christianity and the Bible for hindrances to the natural development of hum humanity. That hierarchy of needs could be fulfilled for everyone if the Bible and Christians weren't in the way. Carl Jung, another godfather in the field, he is well known as a follower of the occult. Uh, I give you a, did I give you a, a reference to an article on him in your notes? Yeah, okay, you ought to check it out, man. He knowingly allowed himself, he knew up front what he was doing, he allowed himself to be demon-possessed, and he ended up requiring an exorcism. Brilliant, Carl. Carl Rogers, okay, if it's Carl in the psychiatric sciences, just run. Carl Rogers, um, he, he had the love yourself massively philosophy going. Uh, it, basically, your problems stem from your guilt. Just set yourself free. Love and accept yourself as you are. 
he was an occultist. It was through a Ouija board that Carl Rogers, now at the time he was a skeptic, but he came convinced that he had made contact with his dead wife, Helen. And he received, he thought, a consoling message from her. And this is what Rogers said. He says, far from being the science that he had represented them to be, everything, he says, all my works, all my creative activity derived from horrendous experiences with haunting spirit entities that nearly drove him insane. It was during this time that Philemon became his spirit guide. And he wants to tell you how to live your life. So what do you get? Whoa. What do you get when you follow guys? Like, well, you end up with fool's fan fantasies. I mean, you end up, you end up ruined. First Samuel 15, 3, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Do you see the principle there? You reject God's word. You are in no man's land. And how is that ever going to work out for anyone? Psalm 14, verse 1, describes these fathers of the field, the, 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 the field of the psychiatric, the psychological sciences. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. That's what we need. That's what people need. People need to be lovingly brought to the place where they recognize that. It's changed their life. What's the result? Jesus tells us, Matthew 15, verse 14, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And don't we see that? We see that all of the time. Isaiah 56, verse 9, all the beasts of the field come to devour, yet all the beasts in the forest, his watchmen are blind. They are ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. Uh, the word of God is calling these guys out. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his own gain from his own quarter. Matthew 7, 15, here's the warning. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is firewood, is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits shall you know them. Second Peter 2 1. There were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately, privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9, when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. Sarah Thesson, why weren't you listening? There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire or that useth divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard. The wizards, man, they peep and mutter. Isn't that what the Bible said? They peep and mutter. Or a necromancer. And that was young, right? 
that made contact with his dead wife? I get my Carls mixed up. No, it was Rogers. Carl Rogers. Necromancer. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you how to live your life, said the necromancer. I mean, am I the only one? I mean, that's just crazy, right? <laughs> For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt perfect, thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God for these nations which thou shalt possess, hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. And look what, look where that got them. <laughs> look, what, look where that brought them. Uh, you're replacing them in the land. God said, I had enough. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to, so to do. You don't get to follow their example. And yet, that's what is happening today. Pastors are listening to these diviners, these wizards, these, these, these purveyors of sciences, falsely so-called. They're lapping it up and they're proposing it. They're presenting it as God's truth to God's people to help them with their problems. False prophets right? False teaching. I pray the Lord give you wisdom. I'm not going through this so that you'll rupture your friendships with other pastors, but just beware. <laughs> Don't let it into your church. It destroys churches. And on the surface, they can look like they're going really well. A lot of people, a lot of activity. And then divorce epidemics just mayhem and destruction ravaging the lives of people in the context of local church ministries. Uh, the sciences that these guys have produced are flawed. They're known to be flawed. Have you ever heard of the half-life of knowledge? How many have heard of this? It's like a little, you want to put this bee in your bonnet, you want to keep this little nugget. Uh, the half-life of knowledge refers to the number of years that it would take for half of the information or knowledge available in a any given field of study to become defunct or superseded by new information. And the number varies by field or specialized area of study. So you get what we're saying here, the half-life of knowledge. How long does it take before everything that we know in this scientific field of study, how long does it take till we know that half of that knowledge, those facts, are wrong? <laughs> or they come out as lies? That's the half-life of that knowledge. And so in some areas, it's 10 years. In some areas, it's 50, it's 10, it's, it's 20. It just varies by field. Okay, according to Wikipedia, because that's probably as good a source as any on something like this, we're talking about quackery. A Delphi poll showed that the half-life of psychology, as measured in 2016, ranged from 3.3 years to 19 years, depending on the specialty, with an average half-life of over seven years. So you go into this guy's office and he's telling you what's what from a field of knowledge of which half is wrong. Half of what this guy knows is gonna be shown. It's gonna be proven scientific with other faulty methods and that, but, but we're gonna find out. It's gonna be verifiably false and he's gonna tell you how to run your life. The psychology half-life, 7.2 years on average, and that's very generous most put it at about five years. Uh, you ought to just Google uh, Canadian psychologist Donald Hebb. Did I put that in your notes? I didn't want to put him on the screen because I, I thought I would get in trouble. 
Alan Shelby could have gotten away with putting him on the screen, but I couldn't. Uh, just Google Donald, <laughs> Donald Hebb, H-E-B-B, and, uh, and, and, and basically, he's, and he's a psychologist, but he's got no respect for his peers. Uh, it's, it's just funny. Okay, so in three to five years, you're going to find out then that half of what your psychiatrist told you was just flat out wrong. And for a look under the hood, did I give you the website C-C-H-R-I-N-T, C-C-H-R-I-N-T dot org? That's in there? Okay. They're a watchdog group, and they're just always pointing out faulty studies, and it's a rough website. Don't let the, don't let the shabby web design throw you off. They're just trying to get information out there, and, 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 and whatever they say, you can go out and verify it. But, but they're, just, they're just trying to point out to people the just the, the, the house of cards that these scientific fields actually represent. You know, half of what your psychologist is telling you could be wrong in as little as three years. And it's no wonder, because they're making up mental diseases and cures all the time. They're just making this stuff up. There's new mental diseases coming out all the time. They made that up, and then they make up the cure, and oh, yeah, now, now they're a genius. And, and, and God's people fall for it. Clinically, and this is according to their own studies, you get just as much help not going to a psychologist. That's per their own studies. In other words, just stay home. Watch a series on Netflix. Call your friend. Go, go on a picnic. Take a walk through the woods, and you'll, you'll get more help than going talking to some quack. Psalms 1.1 says it this way, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So pastors, let's not do that. There are known biases in the sciences. Bias is your next blank. Again, many times, these popular psychological theories are just made up. They're the fantasies of some occultist posing as a scientist, and they just make them up. Um, for example, the social reconstructionist views that's driving just, I mean, this massive, this current uh, gender theory push. I mean, it's a massive movement. Uh, the, the, the foundations, they're made up. Okay, so discussing his fraud, gender theorist Christopher Drum Dummett it's uh, a good name. <laughs> Rhymes with the right curse, curse word and everything. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Darn it, dumb it. You did it again. Oops, I did it again. Okay. <laughs> Listen to what he said. Plenty of uni young university students, first learning about Canada's history, have been forced to read that article. It's an article he wrote to learn about the history of gender and the social construction of gender. The problem is, dun, 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 he says, I was wrong. Or to be a bit more accurate, I got things partly right, but then for the rest, I basically just made it up. In my defense, I wasn't alone. Everyone was and is making it up. That's how the gender studies field works. But that's not much of a defense. I should have known better. If I were to retroactively psychoanalyze myself, I would say that really I did know better. And that's why I was so angry and assertive about what I thought I knew. I was trying to hide the fact that at a very basic level, I didn't have proof for part of what I was saying. So I stuck to the arguments with fervor, like any good Shiite would. I stuck to the arguments with fervor, 
and denounced alternative points of view. Intellectually, it wasn't pretty. He's on a jihad. And that's what makes it so disappointing to see that the viewpoints I used to argue for so fervently and so baselessly have now been accepted by so many in the wider society. And it will be viewed and discussed and built upon on as settled science. That's how it works. So the whole thing's a house of cards. Psalms 116 verse 11 calls this out. I said in my haste, all men are liars, and every pastor knows the joke. Right? He could have, what? Taken his time. He didn't have to say that quickly. He just could have taken his time if he wanted to. Uh, Isaiah 44, 24. Thus saith the Lord, my Redeemer, he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners mad, that turneth wise men backward, and maketh their knowledge foolish. Man, pastors, that's a verse we need to hide in our heart. Amen? <laughs> let's, let's, that, again, a faith-based approach to ministry says, you know, I know I don't know much. I, I get that. I don't actually have to be the smartest guy in the room. I really don't. Because I got access to someone who knows everything, and he made sure we had everything that's going to keep us straight in everything that we're doing. Everything he's called us to, he's going to keep us straight in it. So I don't have to have all the answers. The book does. I don't have to know everything. The book has everything I need to know. So it doesn't matter what I think or say. What does the book say? That is so liberating. That is so freeing. That is so safe. Because God is against liars and diviners, and he is going to frustrate their wisdom. He's going to make their knowledge foolish. Uh, can you imagine being a pastor that in the name of just, you want, to, you want to be a good pastor, you want to love people well, you want to take care of them, you want to, you really, you really want to help people, but you didn't think the Bible was enough, and so you went out and you bought into a whole field of settled science, falsely so-called, and you're trying to use it in pastoral ministry, and now you're at the judgment seat of Christ trying to explain the divorce epidemic in your church. I was just trying to help. Yeah, you sided with diviners. You sided with liars against me. That terrifies me. You know what I'm saying? Like the idea that I would get out of bounds and ruin people's lives. You know what James says, be not many masters. You're going to give an account. The judgment seat of Christ is going to be a very long day for you. I tell people at NBC all of the time that, uh, look, what I'm just trying to do is tell you what the Bible says. That way, when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, I'm just going to take the chicken. I'm just going to, here's the plea I'm going to cop. I told him. <laughs> I'm sorry, wait a I told him. <laughs> That's what I, did. I, I don't know what else to do. I, I just, I don't, if, if, you know, if you know of anything else that I should be doing, clue a brother in. It, 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 it's, it's heartbreaking to think about uh, what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like for pastors. Psychology, tactically, functions as a religion of self. If we're not going to submit to God, who are we going to submit to? Oh, yeah, which spirit are we dealing with here? This is a spirit that's standing in the place of God as God showing itself that it is God. 
Uh, and so we have a religion of self in psychology. False thought regarding unregenerate man. Here it is. You are basically good. That's the underlying presupposition. Man is basically good. So focus on what you want and need. And then that creeps its way into the church. Find and follow your heart. Live your truth. Speak your truth. Find yourself fulfillment. Whatever God wants for you, that's what you're going to want for yourself. Never mind, you don't know your Bible from a hole in the ground. Uh, you just follow your heart and be fulfilled. And then, oh man. So, I don't want to step on any toes, but uh, I got this is where I would have a beef with John Eldridge, for example. Uh, John Eldridge, uh, do you remember this? It was about 20 years ago, the big craze. Uh, what was John Eldridge's book? Alan, do you remember? Savage Heart, what? Wild at Heart. Sounded like a bodice ripper, some Harlequin romance novel. Wild, wild at heart. You know? <laughs> it's like, and, and his, basic, his basic theory is, is look, you, you, you're made by God. And God's a wild man, and he likes to he likes to party and run through the woods. And he's just a he's a you know that's what scares Christians a bunch of limp wristed weak men and Christians. God made you to be savage, bro. And and so and so follow your heart. What about Jeremiah seventeen nine? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I know I've got an old man, and his heart is whack. I got to be careful what heart I'm listening to, don't I? I I need to be listening to the heartbeat of Christ. Psalms 53.3, every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. But you live your truth, bro, because you're basically good, and you got a good heart. God, God wants you to discover and, and fulfill your heart. And so now you've got guys. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how it went in the southeast, but I heard stories in our neck of the woods where guys were going out and doing man camps. And uh, anyway, one of the activities, running naked through the woods together. No, thank you. <laughs> Not gay. <laughs> the last thing I ever need in my life is to run naked with you brothers, man. That just, mm. let's get naked and let's get real. Let's get raw. Let's go run through the woods. We're wild at heart. Thank you, John Eldridge. Okay, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Jeremiah 4.22, for my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children. They have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. So the religion of self tends to promote a false focus on self versus the critical focus on Christ and the word of Christ. Because listen, pastors, God did not tell us to mine the sciences to find the needed help, the needed information for the spiritual work that he called us to. He didn't tell us to do that. What did the apostle Paul do in ministry without psychoanalysis. How did he do it? Without the, the, the wonderful field of psychiatric medicine. I mean, how did he do this without these scientific discoveries? And, and he, he obviously was a bad pastor. God didn't tell you that you needed to redeem witchcraft for the kingdom of God. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. How did Paul ever get anything done without applied kinesiology? I mean, I don't know how he did it without turning people into human Ouija boards. Uh, this, you guys probably don't know what, I'm, what I think, do you? Okay, uh, Taylor, can you just come up real quick? Just real quick, run up here. Just 
right, get up here so I can reach you. Okay, so hold your arm out real, real strong. Make a fist. Hold your arm out real strong. And if, you're, if your chiropractor is holding a packet of potassium over your head and he's doing this to find out if you've got a potassium deficiency, hello, somebody, quack. Oh, your arm dropped down. You're deficient in p potassium. Let's, let's check salt. <laughs> you just pump in your Oh, you got a salt Did I? Oh, yeah, dude. Good. This, is this the one you worked on? No, it's good. It's awesome. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Pastor destroyed my, 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 my shoulder for an illustration. Not good. Okay. Um, I'm, you think I'm joking? They do it. If, you're, if your chiropractor is holding minerals over your head, pumping your arm or your foot or whatever, what he's doing, that there is, there, yeah, thanks, bro. <laughs> you don't have one clinical study that supports that quackery. I'm telling you, it works. I grew up, <laughs> I grew up in the woods, okay? <laughs> I grew up in southwest Missouri, and uh, I, was, I was in a long line of, um, of um, diviners. Now, they told me 1030. Right? Is that what's what's the right? Oh no! I asked what my dead dead drop time was. Okay, so ten fifteen. That's what I'm. Okay. So my great grand. So it's hard in the Ozark Mountains. Okay, and you got to go find water. You got to dig a well. If you're smart, you give old man Pendergraft a few bucks and he'll just walk right to the best place for you to dig and he'll tell you how far down you'll have to dig. He can tell you if it's going to be easy digging or if there's going to be a lot of rocks. Uh, he will give you your three best options and, and you just save yourself a big headache. And old man, this is my great grandfather, old man Pendergraft is right. If you lose something that you desperately need, you get a diviner and he'll walk right to it. And you just give him a couple bucks, and he's got some whiskey now, and everybody's happy. And so he taught his family how to divine, who taught my family how to divine, and, and, and I learned how to divine. I thought I was an X-Man. This was before the X-Men. I, I, I thought I had a superpower. <laughs> and it was just amazing. I loved doing it. I loved blowing people's minds with what I could find out about them because I could make things talk to me. Now, I didn't know that I had a familiar spirit. I had no idea. I'm doing it one day. And my aunt walks in and she says, don't you know that's witchcraft? And I'm like, my aunt, who is twice, she's three times my age, so obviously she knows nothing. <laughs> and all I've ever done is done it and it works and obviously I have superpowers. What does my aunt know? And so uh, I'm like, you're crazy. That's just, it, it's got something to do with my body chemistry is how it works. Again, what do I know? I'm a, I'm a 12, 14 year old kid. Oh, yeah, I know everything about, I know just as much about body chemistry as I know about quantum mechanics, but I like the lie, you know? And uh, she says, okay, you, you're a believer in Jesus Christ? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I know who I am. I know what I have in Christ. She said, you're mocking him with this, and you need to stop. You need to repent. And if you want to know, he'll prove it to you. Just ask. And ask him to stop it. If it's not of him, ask him to stop it. I'm like, okay, if this isn't your will, Lord, please stop it. 
And uh, what I was doing that day is I had a pendulum. And uh, it would talk to me. You can do it with sticks. You can, a familiar spirit will talk to you through objects. Okay, and that's how it works. And so I got the thing going. And this is the waiting for me to, all I, I don't even say anything. I just think what I want to know, and it talks to me. And it's, you basically, you form a grid, and you work through a grid, and, and then you come to an answer, and then you say something that blows somebody's mind, and they start crying. My, I was warped. I'm not saying it was right, but the thing that had the biggest impact from people was I would tell women the birth order and the sex of their children. Don't tell me, I'll tell you. And, and uh, boy, boy, girl, boy. No, you're wrong. It was boy, girl, boy. Just a minute. Oh yeah, you had a, you, that, that second baby, you had a, you had a miscarriage. In your, in your first trimester. Tears just start coming. That's right. It was a boy. Because oh. she didn't know. It was a boy. Okay. It makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck talking about it. So I, I, I got it talking to me. It's swinging. And so, okay, I, I command you to stop in Jesus' name. And I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm a dumb hillbilly, but I know enough about physics, a, you know, a body in motion tends to stay in motion, and so I'm thinking it would just kind of wind down. That's probably what would happen. I command you to stop in Jesus' name. And, and I'm thinking, if I'm doing that, it's probably going to stop. I may have approached this wrong, you know. So I'm telling it to stop. It's probably going to stop. And so what I'm thinking is, is it's just going to kind of wind down because it's going to submit to my will. I command you to stop in Jesus' name. Boom! It's a dead drop stop. That's right. I dropped it. I repent. I'm done. <laughs> I quit div divination uh, as a young man trying to follow the Lord in ministry. I ended up in Pastor Shelby's office because divination didn't want to quit me. It was a while before I knew the word enough to know how to stand against the, the enemy. But this is being imported into Christian counseling ministries as an effective method to get to the root issues of people's problems. And instead of holding salt packets over people's heads, they're, you know, we could talk this out or we could just use this muscle testing. That's what they call it. And it works because of quantum mechanics and the power of the subconscious mind and other things that sound scientific that I couldn't prove if my life depended on it. And uh, we'll get right to the root of your problem. People are foolish. They have not known me. Sought as children. They have none understanding. They're wise to do evil. But to do good, they have no knowledge. The wise men are ashamed. They're dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? Proverbs 8, 32. Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Don't we want that? <laughs> That's what we desperately want. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. God told us how to approach counseling. And he told us in his word, through his word. So we'll look at that tomorrow. Here's the choice today. All right, here's the choice today. I want to submit to you this morning that there are really only two choices. There are only two approaches to helping people with problems. 
uh, what are really, at their foundation, spiritual problems. And just like you, there are only two choices in terms of origins. You're either going to follow creation or evolution. Just like there's only two choices, faith or nihilism. Just like there are only two lines, Antioch or Alexandra. You've got two choices, biblical counseling or everything else. Just like there are two lines of Bibles, two approaches to that, to that Bible, you're either going to approach it believingly or skeptically. It's biblical counsel versus science, psychology, therapy, divination, tapping, EDMR, Reiki therapy, sciences falsely so-called. It's a choice between using the Word of God God's way, the way that the Word of God instructs us to use it, versus everything else. And that will typically fall under the biblical heading of science falsely so-called. Why? Well, because you're either going to approach your Bible, you're going to approach it as it being authoritative, or you're going to approach it as you being skeptical. The Bible's either authoritative or it's optional to you. You're either going to approach it believingly and submit to what it says about how to help people in your pastoral ministry, or you're going to believe that it's not enough. I've sat down with pastors who have told me, Sammy, interesting to me, you know, the, 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 the subtle psychological insights that you get in terms of how people approach it. It's not Pastor Sam. Sammy, you idiot. <laughs> Sammy, you can't help people with biblical counseling. If you're really going to help people, you have to, you have to also use science. Uh, yeah, the Bible's truth. It's God's truth. But it's not everything that you need to help people. Sammy, if you're going to help people, you're going to have to use science and his church had a divorce epidemic of which he was one of the council uh, one of the casualties less than less than less than 3 years from that statement lost his wife how science working out for you man i mean how good is your science <laughs> so that's that's happening in churches the bible isn't enough we need to use science and it's destroying lives Best case scenario, you've got churches, this is typically in a mega church setting, where they will hire Christian psychologists, Christian psychologists. Now, they don't care if they're saved or not. I know of examples and stories where, where no, do they just know how to work the science, and then they hire them anyway because they're good at the therapeutic approach. They're good at working the science. They bring them in from Christian seminaries. Of the, other churches will just bring in secular counselors, and they bring everything else in along with the Bible, because they don't believe the Bible's enough to help people with their problems. So you've got workers now. The church is using workers in ways that are outside the answer that God gives the church over the question, how can we help these people? We're either approaching it believingly or conditionally. The wrong approach is what God says versus what I think or how I feel based on my, my, my ever-changing circumstances. It's the wrong approach. See, the approach today is, is, is now, you know, if we're going to follow the science, we've got to take you back and focus you on your woundedness versus biblically repenting of any unbelief <laughs> or wickedness. We get, we get people focused now on the things they feel victimized by. And now, now the counselor is developing a relationship with the counselee, and, and, and at the root of all of that, typically, the counselor is now vested in a pay-for-play approach which is not healthy, that's dangerous. And instead of leading people to the place where in Christ they can be victor, not victim, the world focuses people on how they've been wrong. Discipleship focuses God's people 
on real Christian living, on biblical Christianity. Uh, the the, the, the Bible-believing pastor's pulpit gives better counsel than any scientist out in the world. It tells you how to live the life that God calls you to. And if you're just listening and taking notes and, and, and reviewing them later that week, I mean, it's changing your life. A very wise woman, in an article she wrote for the Living Faith Fellowship, said this, the very kindest thing, the very kindest blessing you can give your pastor's wife is to follow hard after the Lord. She said, because just pursuing Jesus fulfills so many needs, there's an amazing correlation between less emergency counseling and obeying God's word. That doesn't mean you'll never need to talk to your pastor, but it certainly reduces the chances a person will be drunk dialing him at 3 a.m. <laughs> Man, that's wisdom. And the woman that wrote that article is super hot. Her name was Cheryl Miles. So uh, that was really good. Because the Bible, not science, is our absolute standard and solution for helping people with pastoral ministry. If man, we could just get people fired up about the book, man. Because it has the answers. Proverbs 22, verse 20. Have I not written unto thee excellent things and counsel and knowledge? Have I not written unto thee excellent things and counsel and knowledge that I I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee? Counselor, do you know? Do you have the certainty of the words of truth? Do you know how to help people with their problems from the answer book God gave you? You've got 66 counselors that can help you with any spiritual, emotional, or sin problem. We have a more sure word of prophecy, so let's do well and let's take heed unto it. So here's the tactics, and we'll wrap up with this this morning. In Exodus chapter 18, this is not on the PowerPoint. You can look at it if you want, but you know the story. Moses is getting worn out. He is the pastor of the, historically, the biggest megachurch ever, okay? I mean, he has got his hands full, and his father-in-law sees what's going on, chews him out over it, and he says, hearken now unto thee, and I will give thee counsel. God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring causes unto God. Be a man of prayer. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Preach and teach. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them, to be rulers over thousands and rulers over hundreds and over fifties, rulers of tens. Let them counsel, let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So it shall be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. And thou shalt do this thing as God commanded thee so. Then shalt thou be able to endure, and all those people also go to their place in peace, shall also go to their place in peace. So he gives an outline, and we'll talk more about this on Wednesday. But the pastor with a biblical counseling ministry, okay, if they're wise, they're going to understand the, the, the power of the ministry of prayer and the word. And that means you're going, to have to, you're going to have to have trained, proven people that you're sharing the work of the ministry with. See, Moses had to make sure that his, prayer, his, his personal prayer ministry was in place, verse 19. But then he had to 
he had to preach and teach, right? He had to deliver God's word to the people, verse 20. But then third, he had to employ God's people to help God's people. He had to have trained deacons and counselors that knew how to judge issues. And the result was effectiveness and longevity in ministry. Got too many pastors trying to be Jesus. Uh, yes, walk with Christ, model Christ, but you, you, you are not infinite. You don't have the capacity to be the answer for every problem in the church that you're leading, in the ministry that you're leading. This is why we're winning souls, making disciples, and training and equipping leaders. Because the more of the pastorate you give away, the better the pastorate will function for the people that desperately need access to it. This has to happen. We need effectiveness and longevity in ministry. And that's what, that's what father-in-law says to Moses, and, and that's how it rolled out. So I'm talking to you, Moses, as we close this morning. These first two are critical. Lord, help us to preach and pray. If we don't get that right, we're not going to train up deacons and counselors <laughs> to do what they need to do to help people, right? You know Acts 6, um, the Grecian widows or, you know, the Grecian believers are feeling ripped off. And, and so the, the 12 say to the multitude, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So let's find these judges of thousands Right? Let's find these rulers of hundreds, of fifties, rulers of tens, that can judge the people. Find seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Let's find some guys who can rule to help equip and lead and mobilize the members of the body to take care of the body. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, because we got to stick to the book. That's what people need. They did it, and the result was, verse 7, the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Isn't that what we want? Every member, a minister? Well, they're not going to minister very well when they're at the cusp of a divorce, right? And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, we love you. God, we're so grateful to you. I thank you for the men who have counseled me over the years. Lord, where would I be without Pastor Shelby? Uh, you well know. And and I pray that the best day of eternity for Alan will be at the judgment seat of Christ. I thank you for brothers that have been points of encouragement over the years. I thank you for, for the people who, you know, it's like Jonathan. Let's just go see what's up. <laughs> uh, let's go see if we can take some kingdom territory. Lord, I pray your blessing on my brothers, that they'd be full of faith, that they would, to the core of who they are, know that with you all things are possible, and that you have given to us all things that pertain to life, to the life that you called us to, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to live in godliness. You've given us exceeding precious promises, and it's by those and those alone that were partakers of the divine nature. And so God, help us to cling to the book. 
and to make no room. Um, integration, integrationists always sound so reasonable. And uh, that little point becomes a fulcrum for the whole church potentially to slide into apostasy. And so God, deliver us from that evil. Lord, help us to be wise counselors. Help us to be, uh, help us to be, because we're full of faith, help us to be eager to point out what your word says about the problems that people face. Help us to be encouragers. Help us to function like gentle shepherds with the sheep and, and uh, Lord, to help them tend in the right direction. Help them to move forward in faith. And then, Lord, be glorified. Work through my brothers. Give them great fruit at the judgment seat of Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.